Jewish artists have a unique set of tools to challenge dominant narratives in our communities and to inspire change and transformation, to inspire people to look inwards, and also to give people different tools to think about things differently. And I think that Jewish institutions have largely ignored the power of contemporary Jewish artists or been afraid of it because artists have politics and artists will go off the cuff, but there is no living Jewish culture without the arts. Welcome to Disloyal, a podcast from the Jewish Museum of Maryland. I'm Mark Gunnery, Director of Communications and Content for the Jewish Museum of Maryland, and this is our first episode. So before we get started, I want to tell you about the show. Disloyal is a weekly podcast about art, culture, and history that uses the Jewish Museum of Maryland's exhibits, programs, and collections as launchpads for talking about Jewish life today. Disloyal is a place to talk about the political, cultural, and spiritual trends shaping the world through a distinctively Jewish lens with artists, curators, musicians, historians, archivists, and more. In the first series of episodes, we're talking about a fence around the Torah, the Jewish Museum of Maryland's latest contemporary art exhibit. It explores how Jewish communities navigate the concepts of safety and unsafety in traditional, contemporary, and futuristic ways. The 15 featured artists tap into ancestral and historical Jewish narratives while imagining what safety, solidarity, and mutual aid mean in today's world. The exhibit focuses on how people who've been marginalized and excluded from Jewish institutional spaces experience physical and emotional harm and safety. It was on view in person at the Jewish Museum of Maryland this past winter and lives on online at offensearoundthetorah.com. The second series of episodes will be based on another exhibit, Blacklist, The Hollywood Red Scare, which is an original exhibit curated by and on loan from Jewish Museum Milwaukee. In that series, we will focus on the history of communism and anti-communism during the Cold War, including here in Maryland, as well as how political dissent and repression have played out in the decades since. Blacklist, the Hollywood Red Scare, is on view at the Jewish Museum of Maryland until October 31st, 2022. So why are we calling this podcast disloyal? Well, a common anti-Semitic trope holds that Jews are disloyal, especially to the state, and the charge of disloyalty has been wielded against Jews for generations. And within Jewish communities, social, religious, and political issues are often understood in terms of loyalty and disloyalty. The Disloyal Podcast asks, what does it mean to be loyal or disloyal to a people, to a state, to an idea, to an artistic practice, to a family, to a political commitment. The Disloyal podcast takes its name from the poem We Are the Disloyal Ones by Ami Weintraub of the Rage, Rebellious Anarchist Young Jews Collective. Part of that poem reads, quote, The disloyal ones create defiant encampments with the mixed multitudes who remain ungovernable. Together, our beauty turns your curses into blessings, end quote. We chose to call our podcast Disloyal to do just that, to turn curses into blessings and to reclaim the word disloyal. So like I said, our first series of episodes is about our art exhibit, Offense Around the Torah. 
and joining us to discuss it is Saul Davis. Saul Davis is the executive director of the Jewish Museum of Maryland. And I'm also joined by Leora Ostroff. Leora Ostroff is curator in residence here at the Jewish Museum of Maryland, where she curated a fence around the Torah. She's a painter whose work explores themes like queerness, Jewishness, violence, and the idiosyncrasies of life in Baltimore. Leora, can you tell us about a fence around the Torah and the ideas behind it and about your goals for the project? Yeah. The idea for this project came out of conversations within American Jewish communities over safety plans in response to anti-Semitism and white supremacist violence, and also similar conversations about safety and exclusion within the community. And it also came out of themes in existing contemporary Jewish art and cultural projects, which address the same topics. I had two separate but sort of harmonious goals for the project. I, wa- I really wanted to show contemporary Jewish art and demonstrate the breadth of what Jewish artists are concerned with and what they make and give artists the opportunity to present their work in a Jewish context and maybe inspire more art and more work. And my second goal was that I wanted to open up or change conversations happening within the Jewish community. And I was inspired by contemporary abolitionist thinkers and their use of generative questions, questions that we can ask ourselves to better understand our own experiences and that really allow us to imagine how the world can be different. And I think that these goals were harmonious because the artwork really successfully opened up new ways for people to discuss the topics of safety and unsafety in Jewish life. Saul Davis, can you tell us about how this project came about and why you wanted to use the Jewish Museum of Maryland gallery space to show this kind of exhibit? Sure. I arrived in the position of executive director at the Jewish Museum of Maryland at the beginning of 2021. The museum buildings were closed. I actually closed the buildings to the public on my first day on the job and didn't reopen them until October. During that time, I was doing a lot of talking about my museum practice. And this was really, I kind of saw this as my first big opportunity to translate that talk into something that people could experience. This gallery called the Feldman Gallery, it's a very large gallery that typically holds traveling exhibits, temporary exhibits in the museum. Its schedule shifted because COVID shifted exhibit schedules all over the place and created an opening, which I saw as an opportunity to do a couple of things. One was I wanted to do some experimentation with different kinds of museum practice And uh, the other goal for me was to try to, well, expand and diversify the museum's audiences, who who it attracted. And I've encountered this, what I I consider, I guess, a kind of truism in Baltimore, which is uh, people support what they help to create. I believe in that. And one of the things we wanted to do in terms of expanding the audience was really draw some younger Jewish people and and artists, creatives to the museum. So we hired Leora as a curator in residence. When I was thinking about experimentation, I actually was thinking of other things, not exhibits, but I also, I wanted to hold on to that truism and practice it all the way through. So just, you know, held that space for Leora to develop the concept, which I think it was brilliant on so many levels. It was also very multifaceted because it included community conversations, the gallery show, 
the virtual gallery and has evolved to this podcast and, and other um, modes as well. So I guess overall, I mean, I just feel very fortunate and grateful to have this thought partner and creative partner in, in Leora. Saul, as you mentioned, this exhibit happened in the midst of COVID. Can you speak more to how the pandemic shaped the creation of the exhibit and how you see this exhibit responding to shifting museum practices during the time of coronavirus? Sure. I was just having a conversation with somebody where I said we were kind of building this project as it flies, and that's true. And the the museum field is changing so dramatically during COVID again. A lot of my practice principles before the pandemic were about bringing people to a Jewish museum. And in many ways, what I wanted to do there was disrupt preconceived ideas about what a Jewish museum is, because there is a kind of formulaic stereotype, which in some cases is true, but also um, it's also a differentiated field. So there's that. And at the same time, it, it seems that the combination of the pandemic uprisings for racial justice have really shifted some dominant conversations in in the world but i'm specifically thinking about the jewish community and this exhibit also was aimed at really provoking those conversations teasing them out where certain things were maybe taboo or boundaried this project intentionally created space and platforms for really difficult conversations to to be held Leora, can you talk about the process of putting the show together? So how did you put the call for submissions out? How did you generate the questions that you wanted the artist to respond to? How did you decide whose work would get shown and how it would look in the gallery? Yeah, so we we put out a call for submissions that emphasized these generative questions that I wrote to frame the project. And the questions, as I said earlier, were kind of inspired by abolitionist thinkers and were really meant to be kind of open-ended. And I posted the call for submissions to a lot of places, including Baltimore and Maryland art pages and resources. I posted it to colleges and synagogues and a couple of other listservs and to Facebook groups. And I think that the Facebook groups were actually the most important part of getting this call for proposals to reach the right people. Saul organized a curatorial panel consisting of representatives from the Council of American Jewish Museums, the New Jewish Culture Fellowship, LABA, the Hendel Center at the Jewish Theological Seminary of America, and the Jews of Color Mishpacha Project. We received about 40 submissions, and the curatorial panel reviewed the work independently before we met to review it together. And independently, we asked them to rank the submissions based on the themes that the work addressed and how well the work addressed those themes and which, if any, of the generative questions each piece of work addressed. And also when we met together, we each stated our own lens in viewing the work at the beginning of the meeting. Um, So for example, a huge part of my own lens in viewing this work is that I'm an artist myself and work primarily in in two-dimensional forms, like in paint and drawing. Um, So I tend to think of that as like a, a bias. 
Um, and we had a lot, we had a lot of interesting conversations about the work and even disagreements about what should be shown and why. Um, so it was a really interesting conversation. Um, and ultimately we selected 15 artists and I arranged the work in the gallery based on a sort of story that I wanted to tell about how the works relate to each other and to the themes of the show and to Jewish communal narratives and conversations. So the show is divided up into five sections. Leora, can you talk to us about those sections and why you wanted to divide up the work that way? Yeah, so I don't know if you've ever read As I Lay Dying by Faulkner, but I really um, relate strongly to the character of Cash Bundren, whose stream of consciousness is represented as a list, as like a numbered list. It seemed like a simple way for me to organize the work myself. And then when I gave this list, titles, it became something that made sense to share out broadly. The sections are called Descent, Queer Life, Security, Dialogues, and Narratives. I created those those titles, those sections after we had decided which work we were going to show. So the sections were based on the work that we had selected. In selecting the work, I spent a lot of time looking at it and thinking about it, and I noticed a lot of common threads. And I don't remember exactly, but I think that the first common thread to emerge was dissent because I sort of wanted to use the work in that section as a framing device for some of the other work. So for example, Judith Joseph's Spinoza series was kind of a quick hook for connecting things to historical topics and figures. And Danielle Dershlag's film, Dangerous Opinions, kind of sets you up to think about what's safe to say and when it's safe to say as you walk through the rest of the exhibition. And to some extent, I think these sections also emerged from the generative questions that we asked the artists to respond to. So several of the artists referenced policing and security as a direct response to one of the questions in our call for proposals. And I felt that putting their work together was powerful because the way that they addressed those themes was was different. But I also wanted to make sure that the artists that were in the security section were responding to those themes on a direct and personal level and not in generalized terms. But I do think that the work could have been arranged in any number of ways. And when I wrote out the outline for the virtual presentations that we've been giving, I thought a lot about where the work could be moved or how works in different sections relate to each other. So speaking of the virtual tours, um, Saul, this wasn't just a gallery show. A key component of Offense Around the Torah has been the virtual interactive elements including the online gallery, the virtual tours, and online conversations in the lead-up to the opening. Can you talk about those elements of the exhibit and how you think they've gone so far? Sure. Well, we've learned a few lessons through this pandemic, and one of them that we learned was to plan to operate on multiple tracks. We actually, the community conversations that I mentioned earlier were initially planned to happen inside of the gallery And we built a room inside the room of the gallery to hold those. And we put a lot of thought into the facilitation of those difficult conversations um, and holding those conversations in preparation for this gallery show. Then the Delta variant of the pandemic came and we had to move those conversations onto Zoom. So when we were planning for the gallery show, we knew we needed to plan for both the show in the physical gallery and also the virtual gallery as well. And 
a week or so after the gallery show opened, the Omicron variant came and we closed the gallery. So what was already a short durational show of about 10 weeks, I believe, was significantly reduced in terms of the, the openness of the museum building. But at the same time, the virtual gallery just really took off. There was a lot of exciting activity and conversation and promotion for the project happening on social media. And it was also driving people to the virtual gallery where we had 200 to 300 unique visitors every week for the duration of the 10 weeks that the exhibit was opened and even extending beyond the closure of the, of the gallery, the, the virtual gallery continues to have some traction. And that was exciting at the same time that we were getting some media. One example was the article that appeared in the forward online and those online, especially national publications, when they featured a fence around the Torah, drove people to the exhibit. And we just kept seeing the momentum grow. Additionally, just the, all of the partnerships embedded inside of the structure of the project with the curators and the 15 artists, we all worked very collaboratively to uplift it and amplify the work, which also drove people to the virtual gallery. So there was that. And then as we were preparing to close the physical gallery, started to hold these virtual group tours and the exhibit just translates very nicely into the online format because it's so it's so multimedia. Leora's developed a really nice, elegant flow for the whole project. We've taken a variety of groups through and you can watch a video and then hold space for some community for some conversation amongst a group. You can listen to Joy Layden read poetry or some of the audio pieces and other, other video installations that people can take in together and then react to and have some conversation. So I, I, I really think the project has some long legs because these themes that the exhibit is organized around there, they seem somewhat timeless, but at the same time urgent at this moment, there's like a lot of immediacy around them. And we can really see people eager to have these conversations. And I, I've been working inside of organized Jewish communal worlds for 15 years. And some of the conversations I've had, I've just never seen people talk about these sensitive topics with so much openness and courage. And I, I think it's very inspiring. And it's just another reason why I'm glad we we entrusted Leora to, to conceptualize this project because as she said repeatedly, it's I think one of the major factors beyond things that were mentioned already is just the, the force of contemporary art for opening space for people to have these discussions. So Leora, you've been leading these virtual tours for Offense Around the Torah. What have those been like for you as a curator and as an artist? And are there any moments in those tours that have stood out for you or surprised you? Yeah, I really like giving the virtual tours because I like art history and art criticism. So putting together this presentation has been like working on an extended art criticism essay that then people get to come and interact with. And I think that one thing I've been really proud of is how the artwork really does elicit responses from people and open up conversations, as Saul was just talking about. And several people from Jewish groups have commented that the dissenter security sections really resonate with them, or that the Mizrahi Artist Collective's installation in the dialogue section speaks to their own family history and trauma. 
I think that also the content is relatable outside of the Jewish community. The non-Jewish audiences that we've brought in have said that the themes of the exhibition are widely relatable. One of my friends who's also an artist was so thrilled by Nikki Green's piece. Even though he doesn't know much about Shabbat or about Jewish ritual, he understands the idea and the impulse behind Sabbath croc and relates it to his own work as an artist and to his own life. And I think also one thing that I observed when we were able to be in the space in person is that people who don't interact a lot with the queer community feel invited to ask questions or see things in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. We've been able to play Joy Layden's poem in her own voice for groups that have come through. Another thing is that I, I learned from, from Arielle Tonkin, from one of the artists, that I've opened up new ways for them of thinking about their own work, particularly as it relates to hybrid identities. And also another thing is just that some of the participants in these tours have opened up new ways of thinking about the work for me through the comments that they've made during the virtual presentations. Saul, I've heard you say that you think of this exhibit as an intervention could you expand on that and tell us how you see a fence around the Torah fitting into the world of Jewish arts and culture and museums? Sure. I mean, I think it's an intervention around some of the, the taboos I mentioned earlier or boundaries. This exhibit, it goes into a, a lot of difficult places. You know, it's done so much work to crack open the space for these conversations and to really imagine, I guess one I'm trying, I'm trying to think of how to organize my response to the question about intervention. One of them is that Jewish museums are somewhat reflexively focused on the past in many ways. This is the Jewish Museum of Maryland, and, and many people have spoken to me about it as though it's a Jewish history museum. And of course, part of its charge is as a public history museum and the preservation of the, the past. But I think it also has a responsibility to to try to enrich the present and help us imagine the future. And and that's one piece that I'm really focused on is sort of turning the temporal lens towards the future and using museum, Jewish museum spaces as platforms for imagining Jewish futures. And this exhibit also has purposefully done that by encouraging us to think more expansively around Jewish safety, not just Uh, specifically about physical security, but in in more expansive ways, thinking about emotional harm and and moral injury and psychological forms of safety and unsafety, and then imagining it, purposefully imagining what a more just Jewish future might look like. Those are a couple of the interventions. One is thinking about Jewish futures. Another is breaking some of what what was formerly a, a taboo areas for discussion in Jewish community. Same question to you, Leora. How do you see this exhibit fitting into Jewish arts and culture and museums? I think that this exhibition shows us how we can ground contemporary art in Jewishness. And I also think that Jewish artists have a unique set of tools to challenge dominant narratives in our communities and to inspire change and transformation, to inspire people to look inwards, and also to give people different tools to think about things differently. And I think that 
Jewish institutions have largely ignored the power of contemporary Jewish artists or been afraid of it because artists have politics and artists will go off the cuff, but there is no living Jewish culture without the arts. And I think that this exhibition can demonstrate also how Jewish institutions can trust artists and culture makers and, and what we can what we can do and what we can achieve when we do that. I also think that it's interesting to think about um, what Saul was just saying about history museums. And one of the things that I think about is um, the lens that we're viewing that history through and who is telling the story. And I think that this exhibition also addresses that. Saul, I know that you were particularly struck by the poem and graphic called We Are the Disloyal Ones by Ami Weintraub of the Rebellious Anarchist Young Jews Collective. And that's where this podcast, Disloyal, got its name. So thank you, Ami, for that. I'm curious why that particular piece and this idea of disloyalty moved you so much that you wanted the museum to create a podcast with the name Disloyal. Yeah, I mean, I was really drawn to that that piece, those pieces immediately. And I think part of it is I'm just interested in the ways that um, epithets, in this case, like an anti-Semitic epithet of disloyalty, how those kinds of epithets can be turned around and uh, co-opted by those who they, they're intended to harm. And, uh, you know, they can be embraced and in, imbued with new meanings. On the one hand, I, I was also just somewhat enamored with the the design of the disloyal poster and the way that the, the Yiddish oi was pronounced inside of it. And then the poem, which did all of that work to turn the charge of disloyal as a negative kind of othering into a uniqueness that was embraced by the author, uh, Ami Weintraub. And while the exhibit was up, there was the controversy in the Tennessee school district about the book Mouse, which does this, was part of the same tradition of taking the epithet of the Nazi epithet of Jews as vermin and using that as the framework for a kind of intergenerational memory project. Um, and also that disloyal was adjacent to queer life in Judaism. And I also think that, you know, the word queer could also be thought of in, in similar ways. So all of that kind of stuff was swirling in that one corner of the gallery, where which ended up being a kind of an organic landing point where a lot of juicy conversation happened. So I want to wrap up by asking both of you if there are any lessons you learned from this project that you're going to take with you in your next artistic or curatorial or museum projects. So I want to start with Leora. Every part of this was a learning experience for me. So I feel like there are a lot of like um, details that I learned about putting an exhibition together that I would take with me next time. But I think that one thing that I learned and that stays with me now is just to kind of stick with a vision and also to trust the artists that we're working with, which I think I, I knew intuitively at the beginning because I'm an artist and because I want to present my work the way that I want to present it. But I feel like that was reinforced for me during this project. Yes, yeah, Saul, what, what have you learned from this project that you're going to take with you? I, I learned so much. I mean, I feel like part of what's happening for me is that with this project, my practice started to catch up with my thinking. You know, I, I have certain thinking about museum practice and certain principles 
one that I hold close, it's uh, actually comes from a line from a Susan Sontag essay called On Courage and Resistance, where she writes that a moral principle is something that puts one at variance with accepted practice. So when we talk about this project being an intervention, I'm thinking about it as one that's put us at variance with uh, accepted practice in this field. I don't want to operate from a place of fear or scarcity. And there were so many decisions that had to be made along the way of this project where I, I could have fallen back into a place of, of fear or concern about scarcity, but I didn't. Also, uh, as Leora was talking about just trusting in our partners, that includes both of you, you know, who we had, we had a lot of big conversations along the way here and just kind of acted from that place of trust in both of you and so many of our other partners. The other thing is, is kind of turning over authorship or and control because as the a person in the position of executive director, that, that is a position of power. But I, I really wanted to turn this space over as much as possible to the curator in residence and, and trust that person. And I'm again going to say it for maybe the third time that I'm I'm I just feel so fortunate that it it, it was. Leora is the person that I connected with upon arrival here and has been this amazing creative partner. The last thing I'll just say is I also trust in chance. And it just happened along the way that, Mark, you, you lent me this Heschel book. I said I wanted to do some reading of Heschel and you gave me this these essential writings. And that's where I found the essay by Heschel titled Descent and the epigraph for the entire exhibit, which is acts of dissent proved to be acts of renewal comes from this essay. And I guess in terms of my final word here, I'll just want to read this other line because I'm looking at that essay right now where Heschel asks the question, is there dissent in Judaism today? And then he answers it. Creative dissent comes out of love and faith, offering positive alternatives and a vision. That's Saul Davis. Saul is the executive director of the Jewish Museum of Maryland. Thanks, Saul. Thank you, Mark. And I was also talking to Leora Ostroff. Leora Ostroff is curator in residence here at the Jewish Museum of Maryland, where she curated a fence around the Torah. And she is a painter whose work explores themes like queerness, Jewishness, violence, and the idiosyncrasies of life in Baltimore. Leora, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to Disloyal. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'd love to hear your feedback. Our email address is disloyal at jewishmuseummd.org. You can follow us on Twitter at jewishmuseummd or on Instagram at jewishmuseum underscore md. And if you're in Baltimore, come visit. Go to jewishmuseummd.org for more information and to become a member if you're interested in supporting content like this podcast. Visit offensearoundthetorah.com to check out our latest art exhibit. Disloyal is a production of the Jewish Museum of Maryland and is produced and hosted by me, Mark Unnery, with production assistance from Naomi Weintraub, the Jewish Museum of Maryland's community artist in residence. Our executive director is Saul Davis. You can subscribe to Disloyal wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes each Friday. Until next time, take care. 